This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. Morning. Nothing like a forced standing ovation. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, hi everybody. I, my name's Andy. I am super glad to be with you today, uh, and always love coming here. It was interesting showing up in the parking lot today, and I was over on the side, and I had this really strange feeling. I thought, you know, when you're having something you don't understand and you kind of ask yourself, like, what's going on? And I realized I had a number of awkward dates in this building. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them ended right over there where I was parked, right on the side. So glad you're here. Man, packed house today. I like Elevate Church. Yay. So uh, I was driving down to Slippery Rock. I had the opportunity to, to uh, I went to Slippery Rock back in the day. And oh, yeah, my slimy pebble friends out there. So <laughs> we. I drove down there, I had an opportunity, I kind of sent the uh, president of Slippy Rock University a message. Um, I, I got the opportunity to speak to, there to the freshman class. They wanted to have a motivational speaker come and speak to the freshman class on their first day that they were at Slippy Rock University after they've moved all of their stuff into the building and it was 90 degrees that day and it was at the end of the day and they wanted to have it in the gym where the sound system sucked and it was hard to hear and it was 85 degrees in the gym and let's have a motivational speaker. (laughs) Uh, Nobody listened. So, um, but I had the opportunity to go back and have a meeting with the uh, president, and I was going to try to, I do this business, I do life coaching, leadership development stuff, and I wanted to come and and sell her something, and um, I was driving down, pretty important meeting with the president, and I'm driving in in, in the middle uh, of the journey to Slippery Rock University, I was about uh, 45 minutes into it, and my truck just shuts off, driving 70 miles an hour just shuts off. I'm not a mechanic. Um, I have a degree from Slippery Rock University in health and physical education. (laughs) I pulled off and I just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh. I gave myself a little bit of room, but not enough to walk, right? I didn't know what to do. So I, I got under the engine. I've seen my brother's a mechanic. I've seen him do this. He wiggled, I wiggled some stuff. Try it now. And then it works. I was like, how'd you do that? 
wiggled some stuff. That didn't work. I went around. I remember I had this loose wire that we had kind of fixed, but sometimes it shorted. So I, I wiggled that. And then I sat in my truck and I prayed to Jesus and uh, started. Yeah. So I drove the rest of the way, had my meeting, was there a little bit early. Uh, and I thought, you know what? Like, I was freaking out, but God is in control, right? And he, it didn't surprise him. And I thought about that in terms of our recent election. The country is freaking out. I don't get political, but here we go. So... <laughs> I realized that God's in control of this thing, this world. And, and the scripture does talk about things getting bad at some point in our future. And we should expect and be ready to serve God no matter what happens. So everybody just, can we just, can everybody take a deep breath? All right, let's talk about Jesus. So as we move forward, let's pray, shall we? Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful uh, for your love and your direction that uh, nothing that happens um, is outside of your control, that it does not surprise you. And God, we are here today to, to worship and follow you. You are our leader. You are the Lord of our life. And we are here to serve you and to take the love that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ, that gave his life so that we could be uh, in relationship with you to forgive our sins and call you call us into being agents of change in this world. And so we ask for your strength and the power through your Holy Spirit to continue to do your work and that you would get all the credit in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> I, you know, life is kind of crazy. And, and when you think about coming to church and you think about where you're at in your life, we're here to grow, right? We're here to, to, to be better followers of Christ. You know that he saves us. We're saved by grace. It's not in our own effort. But as we enter that process and we look at our relationship with God, we want to grow. And growing is not, is not easy. It's difficult. And I see life oftentimes as, uh, and I like to think about it, as those people movers, any, any of you ever go to this, on those people movers in the airport? It's like the flat escalator, you know what I'm talking about, right? Does anybody here, uh, when you see those, have this, some weird desire to get on it going backwards? <laughs> do you guys do that? Can I see anybody? All right, a couple of you like me out there. I just want to get, I don't know what it is. Ever since I was a kid, I see an escalator, I see one of those things, and I want to get on it going backwards because it's challenging. It's more challenging. Let's see if we can beat it and get ahead and like run up the escalator backwards or whatever it is, right? And I feel like life is like that. If we want to grow, there's all kinds of forces that are working against our ability to grow, to implement the things that God calls it, be more loving, be more kind, the, the things, the fruit of the spirit that he's calling us to, to grow in, to be better in, to reach this world to, and it's hard work. It's difficult. It, it, and even if you take all the spiritual forces out of it, there are just natural forces in this world working against us. That even in science, there's this scientific law that things have a tendency to go from a state of order to chaos. I mean, the world is working against our progress. And if we stay still or we stop growing or we stop putting effort into this process of growth in our life, 
It's like being on one of those people movers with it going in the wrong direction. When you stop, you don't stand still. What do you do? You immediately move backwards. And so you add in the fact that we have an enemy seeking, as the scripture says, whom he may devour, that there is a lot of forces working against our growth. And so let me give you some, some points. As we get into the passage today, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, but I just want to give you some points. If you're a note taker and you're doing it electronically or you're writing it on whatever thing you have there or your hand, your palm pilot, if you will. I think I use that joke every time. So remember it because I'll use it again. So if you're taking notes, just some things about growth that are really important. You have to commit to make a decision to grow. You have to make that decision, commit to growth. You have to decide to do it. If you don't decide to do it, you won't ever do it. You, you need to make a decision, make a commitment that you're going to grow, that you're going to take that opportunity. The second thing is commit to the process. That growth is a process. It doesn't just happen. Even though you make a decision, you've got to remake that decision every day. You've got to continue to grow. And growth is a process. And John Maxwell would say, he's a leadership guy, he would say that, that leadership or our growth doesn't happen in a day, it happens daily. That we are constantly, day after day, surrendering and making a decision. And it's a process. And growth is hard. Sometimes it's painful. Re recently, a couple months ago, um, I started working out at iRock Fitness. I used to be at Planet Fitness, where they don't, it's a good place. If you work out at Planet Fitness, great. But they don't bother you there. They don't push you real hard, right? You can't make a lot of noise there or the light goes off. <laughs> but at iRock Fitness, <laughs> it's a little different. And I went to my first, I don't know if you've ever been there, great people. Um, it's, it's really difficult to work out at iRock Fitness. You take one of their classes and um, you have to make a lot of noise. It, 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 it really hurts. And I went to my very first class there, and it was the hardest workout that I have ever been a part of. It was the, since I ran track in college at Slippery Rock, it was the hardest workout. And that was Saturday. It was the hardest workout I had ever been to until I went to the one on Monday. <laughs> and by partway through that week, I was so sore that my arms would not straighten out. And so I'd be working on something at the table like this, and then I would leave the table, and my arms would just stay in this position. I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even joking. My, I had my wife kind of put her knee on my elbow and straighten out my arm. So they straighten now. That's really... But the point is, getting in, in, in shape and working out and those kind of things requires effort and pain. And sometimes you've got to make a decision moment by moment to stay in it. 
I mean, just the other day, they're making us do this exercise where you're doing this plank on a medicine ball, which is ridiculous. And I'm about to give up, you know, and I just put my knees down. And, he, and he's right there. I won't say his name because I'm kind of still mad at him. But <laughs> he saw me kind of slouching. He was like, ah, what are you doing? Huh? He's <laughs> like, ah, not yet. I'm like, everything in my body was shaking. He put his foot with his toes underneath my stomach just so I wouldn't like <laughs> jerk <laughs> he's a really nice guy but it, the process is hard and it, and it requires other people around you to grow we need other people in that process it's a process that if you don't commit to it on a daily basis in our life in our spiritual life to become more like Jesus then it makes it more difficult to grow. The third thing is that you've got to start doing it now. Don't wait. Don't wait till the weekend. Don't wait till you get this project done at work. Don't wait till um, this child or that child gets older or gets out of this grade or gets out of that other thing. Or don't wait till you get rid of this job and get the job that you really want. Or don't wait. Start growing now. You've got to start now. The sooner you start, the more progress you will make. I, I ran track in high school. I, used to, I, I ran against this guy named Dietrich Gels. Dietrich Gels ended up in the NFL. He was from, at the time, there was a Tech Memorial. He's from Tech Memorial. It was a long time ago. Oh, yeah, all right. And uh, <laughs> he was the fastest person uh, in, in the state at the 100 and the 200. And I was running against him at the McDowell Invitational. And... Um, as soon as the gun went off, he was halfway down the track. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's not fair. You're fast. <laughs> he beat me by an entire second in the 100 meters. If you know anything about the 100 meters, that's a, <laughs> that's a really long ways. And I thought, you know, I could beat Dietrich Jails. I could have I beaten him if they would have just given me a head start. Like, like two seconds. Just two guns. One for Andy, one for Dietrich. Boom. Boom. I could have, would have been real close. The idea is growth takes a commitment. It takes a, pro, a, a process. And, it, and it's a process that needs to start now. To leave here today, to make the commitment to start now. Commit, the fourth thing, commit to humility. Commit to humility. We don't grow unless we stay humble. We don't grow in our relationship with Christ, in our ability to be a better person, a better leader, to understand how the world works, to be a better husband or wife or dad or mom or brother or sister. We don't do better unless we stay humble. One of the most difficult questions that, that I ask is if I've done a task or a project, I just did this the other day with somebody, and I always shudder when, right before I ask the question because I, I, I asked this guy that I was doing a project for, what, what could I have done better? What could I change for the, the next time? And if they're honest, and a, a person that cares about your growth too, they'll tell you, 
And it's hard, it's humbling. It's, but if we're not open to that process, if we're not open, if we think, you know, I just don't want to hear that stuff, how I am doing it or been doing whatever it is that you're doing is okay and I don't, I don't want to hear that because it makes us feel some type of way about who we are, we don't grow. And humility is such a hard thing. We started this leadership development uh, program that we've entitled uh, Naked Leadership, um, which is, <laughs> it's nothing weird. Um, we actually say where clothes are required, but masks are forbidden. And, and, it, and it's, the, it's the place where it's almost like a 12-step recovery for people in leadership at work or in business trying to change, to have a, have a safe place to talk about the things that you know you need to change that you might be afraid to talk about. And it start, the process starts with honesty and humility. Because if we're not honest with ourselves, we're not humble, we, we don't change. And the thing that I want to focus on today, coming from Philippians chapter 2, is your mindset matters. If you're going to grow, your mindset, how you think about life and yourself and, and who Christ is matters. And so Paul addresses that in, in Philippians chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at 5 through 11. This is what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want to start off by just saying that if you want to get your mindset right to grow, if you're going to be in a place where you're ready to change, it, and it takes us having the mindset of Christ. We've got to know about Christ. What's interesting about this passage is that in your Bible or in your Bible app, as you're looking at it, it's indented. It looks like uh, it's set aside. And commentators think that this portion of Scripture is actually a creed from the first century church. That Paul is actually taken and quoted and put it in his letter. It's kind of like the Apostles' Creed of the early church to, to claim who is Jesus and to remind the early church what Jesus did and who he was. And so they, this may be something that the early church in their small house church meetings or worship services would repeat. And so it gives us insight into the first century church, but it, it also talks to the nature of Christ. So who is Christ? Paul says in this passage that being in the very nature God, Jesus is God. Jesus was God in the flesh on this earth. That who he was, the scripture says, was God in person. In Matthew 1, 23, when it talks about Christ being born, that the, his parents were to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
that in John 1.1, John, the apostle, in writing about Jesus, starts off by saying in the very first verse of his book of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, he's referring to Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's interesting, why is he referring to Jesus as the Word? Well, the Greek word for word is the word logos. And that's the Greek word for word. But the concept of the logos in the Greek culture, and that's who actually John is writing to, is is Greek listeners to Greek readers of his gospel, had this concept that they called the logos. And the logos was that thing that ran everything else. It was the power that created the world and makes everything run. And that thing that they didn't have a name for, they called the word. The logos was the power that ran everything. And in his audience, he's speaking to them and he says, Jesus is the logos. He's the word. He is that thing you don't have a name for. He is the person. He was in the beginning and he is God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. And then this super interesting passage, at least I think it's super interesting. Um, if you read it, Jesus is having a discussion with these people, uh, the Jews, and they're, and they're saying, you know, you're, you're barely 50, right? And they're having this argument. And, he, and they say that because he says, before Abraham was, Abraham being the patriarch of the Old Testament, hundreds, thousands of years prior to Christ coming on the scene. Before Abraham was, I am. And where have we heard that term before used? In the Old Testament, anybody watch The Prince of Egypt? Great movie. Or read the Old Testament. (laughs) There's a story about (laughs) Moses. There's a story about Moses, and and he's having this conversation with God, and there's this burning bush, and and God is wanting him to go set his people free from Egypt. And and he says, "When, when I go, Moses says to God, who should I say sent me? And God tells him, tell tell them that I am has sent you. That I am is the very name of God. And here's Jesus in the New Testament telling these Jews, before Abraham was, I am. And he didn't say, no, before Abraham was, I existed. That's not what he says. He says, I am. And we know that he says that because how do they react to him? They pick up stones to stone him, to kill him. Because he's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. So if we're going to have the same mindset of Christ, then what does that mean for me? Because I know that I'm not God. So how am I supposed to make sense of this? And Paul, I think, is saying, listen, you have to know who he is and who you are. See, Jesus, even though being in the very nature of God, he humbled himself and became a servant. And so our mindset should be that of Christ Jesus, to understand who we are in God. And who does that mean that we are? What does the Bible say about you and I? What does God say about our nature and our person and who he's made us to be? 
2 Corinthians 5.17, that if we are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That you have been forgiven for those things. That, those that, that, that stuff that corrupted us, our sin, our rebellion, no longer has a hold on us. That you're set free and you're forgiven and now you are new in Christ. That you are a new creation. In 1 John, he says that we have given, been given the right to become children of God, that we're part of his family, that we are his children, that, that we are part of the family of God, that we're connected, we've been adopted in. 1 Corinthians 6.20, that we were bought at a price that Christ himself gave his life. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange, his life for our life. That on the cross, he purchased us back so that we could be in relationship with God. That he took our sin on himself and died in our place so that we could be set free. It also says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship. Another translation says, you are God's masterpiece, that you have been knit together in your mother's womb, that, that from the very beginning, God created you and made you to be who you are. And we go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis where God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That we were literally created in the image of God to, to rule over and to take care of this whole place that he made, that he loved, that he said was very good when he got done. And we were part of that very good creation and we were given the responsibility to watch over and to take care of this creation. That we were actually made in the image of the creator himself to be creative. To take all that God had made and he placed man in the garden in the second chapter of Genesis. He said to work the ground and to cultivate it. To guard, guard it and to cultivate to watch over it and to take all that God had made and to do amazing stuff with it. And I believe that if sin had never entered this world, that we would still have amazing cities and architecture and art. We would still have sports and we would still have business and we would still have math. Unfortunately, there would be... How many people like math? Okay, awesome. Then you would be happy. That we were actually created to be creative, but when we ran from God, we turned our back on God, we decided to try to do this thing our own way, and sin entered the world, and we look at the record of the scripture, what happens when we get kicked out of the garden? How does it go for us? Super great. <laughs> and the whole thing falls apart, and relationships are lost, and people enter into war, and there's famine, and there's brokenness, and there's broken relationships, and and there's murder, and there's death, and there's disease, and hurting, and brokenness, and we see that today, and we turn on the news, and we see the effects of sin throughout the ages on all of humanity. Mankind has lost what it truly means to be human. And so when Christ came to save us, he did very two, two very important things. One, yes, to die on the cross for our sin, to save us and reconnect us with God, to forgive us of our sin and that which separates us from God. But he also came to live for us, to show us what it really truly means to be human. Because we have forgotten what it means to be human. We've forgotten what we were originally put here to do. We've forgotten all of that, that we were made in his image and that we are here to be creative and in Christ, to use that creativity 
as part of the, being the agents of change in this world to change the most difficult of problems. There's a story about a guy who was a psychiatrist or psychologist. They hired him at NASA to test all of the scientists in NASA to find the most creative scientists. Because what they wanted was to find the most creative scientists to put on their most difficult problems. And so he does this test, he works up this test, and he tests all the scientists in NASA and found that 2% of the scientists at NASA scored in the genius level of creativity. And so they took those scientists and, and they put them on the most difficult problems. But then this guy thought, well, what if, what if we rework the test and give it to five-year-olds? Well, what would happen? And so he reworks the test and gives it to five-year-olds, and he found that 98% of five-year-olds scored in the genius level of creativity. So what do we extrapolate from that information? We, in this world, in our family systems, educational systems, government systems, in the way that we do life, in the way that the communication and television and media and everything, does an amazing job at beating creativity out of us over the course of our lifetime. Steve Jobs says that the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. That God placed us in that garden originally to take everything that he made and be creative because we were created in the image of the creator. And now, having a relationship with Christ and becoming part of his kingdom to bring his rule and reign to this world again, that we are now called into the brokenness that we see around us and to tap into what it truly means to be human again and allow God to use us to be part of the change, to see the brokenness and to step into it and to be the creative, created people that he meant us to be. That we as followers of Christ should be the first ones to step in, to think differently. There was a story about a kid who was 13 years old. He was a young African-American teenager that was uh, in his culture in the early 1900s. What was expected um, uh, of him was when the truck came by with a, a lot of the rest of the people from his community, he would get on the truck and go work in the fields and, and to pick cotton. That was in the state that he was at. That's what he was expected to do and that's what they did in order to survive. But this young man had an uncle. He had an uncle that thought differently about life. He had an uncle that though he only had a fourth grade education, he had five businesses. And he had a bank account, unlike a lot of people in his community, and he just thought differently about life. And one day the uncle comes to the young man and says, you're not gonna get on the truck anymore. You're gonna come to work for me. And even though he drove by this young man's house every day. He didn't pick him up for work. He said, no, you have to go. You have to get to work on your own. <laughs> and then he would drive into town with this young man and they would drive by the fields and he said, your, your future's not there. You're not gonna do that anymore. And they would drive by the tavern and see people out front and he said, your future's not there either. Those people are having all the fun they'll ever have. And this man grew up, this young man grew up with his uncle's mentorship, 
realizing that you could think differently about life. And this young man grew up, um, how many people have ever used a stair stepper? I'm not saying you have to exercise. I know I've been saying that a lot today. Uh, <laughs> but this young man, this 13-year-old man, grew up to think differently about life. He was the one that, that created or invented the stair stepper. He became a multimillionaire. He ended up uh, advocating for people and going to the Supreme Court on different issues and talking before Congress and, and thought differently about life. And, and I'm just here to tell you that we don't have to get on the truck anymore that a lot of people are moving that direction. I used to ice skate when I was a kid. Any ice skaters? I do a lot of surveys today, I'm sorry. <laughs> Getting to know each other here. I used to ice skate, I grew up out in the country and we used to have frozen ponds everywhere and we would skate a lot. We'd play hockey and um, I, I would play hockey in, in uh, figure skates, because that's all I had, which is not as easy, but doable. And I, we, we, we learned how to skate. And then my parents joined the Glenwood Skating Rink here. And when I was six years old, we, we went to, to skate. And we were skating around. And then they enrolled me in a class at the skating rink. I was like, okay. And there's a bunch of other six-year-old kids there. And we're all standing in a circle. And some of the kids got those skates with the two blades, you know, if you really suck. They got the, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry if you have two-blade ice skates, I'm sorry. Uh, but they, we're all there, and this teacher takes a cone, and she puts it out, and she says, okay, class, we're going to skate down around the cone, and then we're going to come back. I'm like, that sounds easy. But this is what everybody did. She blew the whistle, and they did this. All the way down around the cone and back. And I was like, what the heck? Uh, all right. So this is what I did. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. We went down and back. We did some other exercises. And just the whole time. And then she blew the whistle. Class was over and I skated away. <laughs> the teacher came to my parents. And she was like, I don't think he, needs, he doesn't need this class. Why, why did I do that? Don't we all in some way have found ourselves scooting along with everybody else because that's what you thought you should do? You get on the truck and you go with everybody else because that's what you do. There's that test that you've seen maybe on YouTube where they're all sitting at a doctor's office and, and every so often they, it's an experiment and only one person's not into it. it. It beeps and everybody stands up and they sit down and the person's like, what? But they're waiting for their doctor's appointment and there's a beep and everybody stands up and they're experimenting on this one person that has no idea. And eventually they, it beeps and they stand up with everybody else and sit down. Why? Because that's what everybody else is doing. And if we're truly to evaluate, we've got to stop standing up with the beeps. We've got to stop getting on the truck. We can't shuffle through this life anymore. If we're going to change how things are, we've got to live and think differently. And God has called us to be creative about how we address the problems and issues in our own life and in this world. That we've got to do things differently because how we're doing them now is not working. Our city is hurting. 
And the people that have been in charge of things have been doing things the same way. And, and even people trying to be different are confronted by all the people that just, but this is how we've always done it. And we get on the people mover going backwards and, and it seems so difficult to make progress. But if we don't think differently, if we don't realize who we are and who we were created to be, that God created us and set us free from the things that hold us back to give us the mind of Christ, that we should realize who we are again, that we are here to follow Christ, to take his example, to see that we were, we were created to be like him, to love like no one else but Christ could do. And that in the power of the Holy Spirit and through our relationship with Christ, we can be those agents of change in this world. This quote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve this world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is in us. He came to show us the way, getting a call. He came to, he came to show us the way he humbled himself to show us that even though he was in the very nature of God, he humbled himself. And at the end, the third thing is that God exalted him above everything else. That when we serve this world, when we're creative about how to interact and solve the problems that we see around us in the name of Christ, that we do it through humility, knowing that it's only in the power of Christ that we can do that. And that James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. What could we accomplish as the body of Christ in this city, in this region, if we didn't care who got the credit? That in everything that we did, it wouldn't point back to our church, it wouldn't point back to this group or that group or that nonprofit or this business, but it just pointed back to Christ. That we weren't striving for everybody to look at us, but that we were striving for everybody to look at Christ. That we, of all people, should embrace the fact that we believe that the scripture is true when it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That Jesus was right when he said that with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we should be the ones that grab hold of that, to take it and to run with it, to take it out into the problems that we see around us and begin to think creatively about how we do something about them. And so I want to leave you with this question in your mind. And the question is, what has God called you to do that you have dismissed as impossible? What has God called you to do that you have dismissed as impossible? To close, I, I just wanna do two invitations. And I just, if you bow your heads and, and close your eyes.
And the first one is that if you are a follower of Christ, that you've committed yourself to Christ, but you, you're in that place where you feel stuck. That despite being set free and forgiven, that you haven't really embraced the fact that that mindset of Christ, that he's made you to be creative, to, to be his agents of change in this world, that, that he's actually called you. That perhaps he's called you to, to start a business that you haven't started or, or to take some schooling that you've put off or, or to start a nonprofit or to help somebody out or to reach out to somebody, whatever it is, that you have dismissed it as impossible up to this point. If that's you and you would like to step into that with his courage today, would you just put your hand up real quick? Awesome. Awesome. It starts with that commitment to grow. And the second thing is if you're here today and and maybe up to this point, you have been on the outside looking in as far as your relationship with Christ and, and that forgiveness that we talk about that happens in that relationship with Jesus is not something you've embraced yet. You haven't surrendered your life to Christ and, and you want to do that today. If that's you, would you put your hand up real quick? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So if that's, if that's you today, you can pray in your heart along with me this prayer. Jesus, I'm grateful for your love and your salvation. That you gave your life. You took upon my sin on you on the cross and died for my sin that you shed your blood so that I could be forgiven and you rose from the dead conquering death and shame thank you for what you did for me I surrender my life to you accept your forgiveness for my sin and ask you to be the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.